Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. I mean, I, I think I felt like I was in like a movie. It was like, this cannot be real. This cannot be happening. The kids are going to come home. They can't keep doing this because it's wrong. A mother in British Columbia fights to regain custody of her three children as deeply flawed courtroom evidence paints her as a chronic methamphetamine user. I just didn't want to live because nobody would listen to me and nobody would hear what I had to say. Toronto Star reporter Rachel Mendelson tracks down more families devastated by mother risk evidence used against them. You know, a child being taken away forever from their family as, as the child protection equivalent of capital punishment as a sentence. And as the rot at the heart of mother risk is exposed, the province of Ontario launches two investigations to try to determine how its flawed testing infiltrated child protection cases and how extensive the damage was. From 2005 to 2010, that was the worst period. There were transcription errors she found. She found mistakes, you know, for how much substance was detected, you know, when that was entered into the computers. They had entered it backwards or there was decimals out of place. Uh, nobody was double-checking the results in that period. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and on this episode of Story Hunter Podcasts, Tina Pitaway brings us the conclusion of Mother Risk, Rogue Lab. For me, losing my children was, was the hardest thing that could have happened to me. But the science was flawed. The child protection equivalent of capital punishment In 2014, Toronto Star reporter Rachel Mendelson started looking into the Mother Risk Lab based at the Toronto Hospital for Sick Children. Its hair testing results were being used by more than 100 child protection agencies across the country. For more than two decades, judges and child protection workers have been relying on these tests to help them determine, in some cases, whether children should be removed permanently from their homes. The tests claimed to be able to measure frequency and intensity of use of both drugs and alcohol. Usually it was the parents' hair that was tested, but an unusual case in 2014 raised alarming questions about mother risk's methods and its results. The Broomfield case and that decision by the Court of Appeal, I mean, that was really the first time that, that questions about the reliability 
of motherist evidence were raised in, in a meaningful way. Tamara Broomfield had been convicted of feeding her two-year-old son cocaine repeatedly over a 15-month period. Mother risk tests on the toddler's hair presented in her trial helped seal her conviction, and she was sentenced to seven years in prison. But in her appeal, the court heard from a forensic toxicologist who tore apart Mother Risk's methodology and how they interpreted their hair tests. And so, you know, we we stayed on it. We did, um, I, I think, more than a dozen stories inside a month, uh, really just kind of highlighting these unanswered questions and trying to press for answers from the government, from sick kids. And um, after about six weeks of that coverage, the attorney general appointed a retired judge, Justice Susan Lang, to review five years' worth of drug and, and alcohol hair testing at the Mother Risk Lab, so from 2005 to 2010. That was the worst period. That was the period where they were not confirming their results with the gold standard test, full stop. Justice Lang's initial mandate was to look at cases from Ontario within that window of 2005 to 2010. Soon after, it was expanded to include testing up until 2015. Her review took about a year to complete and was made public in December of 2015. Midway through Lang's review, sick kids permanently closed the lab. As stories of families impacted by mother risk testing began to emerge, it became clear that faulty methodologies predated 2005. In May of 2015, British Columbia ordered child protection agencies to suspend the use of mother risk testing in child protection cases. But that was about 15 years too late for Carmen Brunch. Carmen's testing took place in British Columbia over the course of 18 months, beginning in the fall of 2001. I honestly really felt that the ministry was tampering with my testing because the color and the quantity of hair that was reported on the testing, um, it was different colors, different lengths than what my hair was. Carmen's hair at the time of her second test was no more than 13 centimeters long. Records show that the hair test results used as evidence in her case was 30 centimeters long and a different color than her hair color at the time. And so they refused my request to get it done someplace else. I attempted to try to find another lab at one point, but the judge would not allow it because it was a mail-in test and they didn't know if it was accurate and they didn't have any information on the lab, whatever. So they said that I couldn't do it. Very few parents even challenged the evidence um, when they did or when they they raised concerns about the strength of that evidence. Judges, um, you know, overwhelmingly sided with um, with mother risk. So, you know, those parents didn't stand a chance in Ontario courtrooms for many years. They couldn't uh, get funding to um, hire competing experts the way you could in, a, in a, let's say, a murder trial where there's a legal aid certificate. So, I mean, they were really hamstrung in that regard. And then the parents themselves, they were easy to kind of ignore or write off or disbelieve, um, maybe because they weren't educated, maybe because they, they did have substance abuse in their past, um, maybe because they had criminal records, all kinds of reasons, you know, why, um, why people in power tend to disregard people and stigmatize people who are part of child protection proceedings. I, I, I was starting to feel like I was crazy. Um, like, they were treating me like I was absolutely crazy. Um, well, you know, Carmen, we've heard this story before through all the moms and everybody else, and I'm just like, but I'm not everybody else. 
my case is different. It, it was awful. It was the most devastating point of my life. I I tried to kill myself on more than more than one occasion. Um, I just didn't want to live because nobody would listen to me, and nobody would hear what I had to say. And and even if they did, because of these hair testings, the courts just said, you know, obviously, you know, you must be using because these tests are accurate, obviously, because we've been using them for years. And I said, but but that's not that's not the truth. This is, these are not truthful, and I'm, I'm telling you that I was not using. With Carmen's insistence that she was not a drug user falling on deaf ears, and despite a surprise urine test showing no trace of drugs in her system, Carmen agreed to the demands of child protection. They asked me to go to treatment, or they said that I needed to go to treatment in order to um, get custody of my kids back again. I did everything like I was supposed to do, and I and I did everything they asked me to do to get my kids returned, and they they just kept taking more and more away from me. Like, they, they wouldn't even budge on visits, like, home visits. Like, I'm like, at least let them come to my home where I have my own things and I can, you know, feed them and do normal life mother things with these children. We're, I'm seeing them in a visit room. It's like a square box. Like, there's nothing to do in here. You can't really evaluate somebody's stability as a parent in a room. It doesn't work like that. And uh, they said, no, I couldn't do it. I, I, and I never actually subsequently ever got to see my children again as children at all. I lost my children to adoption in 2006. They put my kids up for adoption. And the judge asked me if I had anything to say about it. And I said, well, yeah. I mean, I said, even criminals, uh, people who have murdered people have gotten out of prison and had their children again. I've never been arrested with drugs. I've never been... I've been, I, I never, I've never tested positive for drugs for, except for the test of the ministry. Like, I don't understand how you guys can take my kids away for the rest of my life. Like I'm some kind of criminal. And he said, well, it's for in the best interest of the children. They need to bond with their new parents. And I said, but they need to know that their mother loves them. They need to know that I didn't just abandon them. It makes a difference in a child's life. And uh, he said, well, that's not going to happen right now. I said, you know, I said, if you're going to put my kids up for adoption anyways, at least don't, you know, not let me see them at all. Like, they they need to know that I didn't just walk away. And he said, I I won't do that. No, these children deserve more than that, and it's something you're not willing to give them, so. The decision to remove Carmen's children from her care was made permanent in 2006. There was no possibility of appeal, and all contact with her three children in care ended. It was thought that in the be- it was in the best interests of the child to have these adoptions be closed. So um, what that means is something called a no-access order. So there is no relationship there. It's completely, the ties are completely severed. Justice Susan Lang's year-long review of Mother Risk in 2015 confirmed many troubling issues with the way the lab conducted tests, as well as how lab staff interpreted results. Her main finding was that the hair testing done was inadequate and unreliable, for use in child protection and criminal proceedings. There were transcription errors she found. She found mistakes, you know, when the the answers, you know, for how much substance, I guess, was detected, you know, when that was entered into the computers, like they they had entered it backwards or, or there was decimals out of place. Uh, nobody was double-checking the results in that period. The focus of Lang's investigation centered on Ontario, 
Midway through her mandate, child welfare agencies in that province were ordered to immediately stop relying on mother risk test results in any ongoing or future cases. In BC, where Carmen's case was based, 8,000 children and adults had been tested by mother risk between 1997 and 2015. Following the release of the Lang Report, the government of Ontario launched a more expansive investigation of the mother risk lab. This new commission's mandate was to find child protection cases where mother risk evidence was thought to have had an influence between 1990 and 2015. The commission identified 1,271 cases where mother risk evidence was used, and of those cases... There are more than 50 cases, I believe it's 56 cases, that the uh, Mother Risk Commission reviewed and found that um, those families were broken apart by the testing. And, I mean, that's those are strong words, um, but I think that you know, those words are, are warranted. And what that means is that, you know, they've reviewed done an exhaustive exhaustive review of the child protection file, and what they found is, but not for the mother risk care test, uh, those children would not have been um, removed from their families. This breaking apart of families was described by Justice Lang this way. Capital punishment, th- those words, the first time I heard them, uh, it was when we were interviewing Justice Lang, um, and, and she described you know, a child being taken away forever from their family as as the child protection equivalent of capital punishment as a sentence. Ontario was the only province to launch an inquiry into the use of mother risk tests in child protection cases. But criminal cases weren't part of that review. A couple of years ago, while doing a search of the STARS archives, Rachel Mendelson stumbled across a criminal case dating back to the late 90s. The story itself didn't mention mother risk, which is why it hadn't shown up previously in other searches Rachel had done. We uncovered a criminal conviction by accident involving mother risk evidence uh, that had been missed by the, you know, the, the reviews that were done and the attempts by the Crown Attorney's Office to find mother risk cases, criminal cases. The woman's name was Joyce. We didn't include her last name in the story um, to protect the identity of her son. Joyce was convicted in 1998 of feeding her four-year-old son cocaine. She was an addict herself, but she, she, you know, always denied feeding it to her son. Joyce came under suspicion after she took her son to a clinic at SickKids in 1996, two years prior to her conviction. Her son was hyperactive, and she was struggling as a young mother to control his behavior. My son um, had stabbed me under my eye, and he was being very hyper, and I was starting to be scared of him. Joyce had sought help for her son on a few occasions, but nothing was ever done to treat his hyperactivity. They wanted to test his eyes, his ears, all these things that I know that he doesn't have those problems, but they kept saying, we have to do this first. So they did all that, but it wasn't that. Then one day, Joyce saw a show about Ritalin and how it was used to treat ADHD. And my friend across the street was taking it for their, you know, for themselves. So I started buying it from him and giving it to my son. In April of 1996, while in the care of a babysitter, Joyce's son managed to get his hands on the bottle of Ritalin she'd bought from her friend. He swallowed two or three pills. 
Concerned that he may have overdosed, the babysitter took him to Toronto Western Hospital, where Joyce met them. Doctors there determined he hadn't overdosed. After speaking with Joyce about her concerns over her son's behavior, they referred him to a clinic at SickKids. At SickKids, her son was prescribed Ritalin in a much lower dose than she'd been giving him. Ritalin is not typically prescribed to children under six. The plan was to wean him off the drug entirely with lower and lower dosages and to help Joyce get better support in parenting a hyperactive child. Regular checkups were scheduled and Joyce followed through on keeping her son on the newly prescribed dosages. She also agreed to have his urine tested during those checkups and it's through one of those urine tests that he tested positive for cocaine in June of 1996. Sick kids reported the results to Children's Aid, who ordered hair tests from Mother Risk. Well, very shortly after that, after they tested his hair, the Children's Aid came and then they took him and then the police came and charged me. Uh, I thought it was ridiculous. I just, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Why would I come to the hospital to get help and I'm doing that to my son? I couldn't understand why, where their logic was. They don't understand drug addicts. Throughout this, Joyce was open about her addiction issues and adamantly denied feeding cocaine to her son. At her trial, she did admit smoking crack in her apartment after her son was in bed, opening windows and tucking a towel under the door to his room. She said it was possible that her son may have eaten a small amount that he may have found on the floor, but nothing to match what the mother risk results implied. Like Tamara Broomfield, Joyce was vilified in the media. Oh yeah, of course. The, uh, the journalists, newspaper people were banging, knocking on my door all the time. I couldn't go outside because people would be calling me name. You know, it just was not a good idea. <laughs> At Joyce's trial, mother risk test results were entered into evidence that claimed to show, quote, sustained use over a three-month period. Lab director Gideon Korn, as well as lab manager Julia Klein, testified. Julia Klein testified that the levels present in the boy's hair sample were typical of levels found in adult chronic users of cocaine, which she described as someone who uses three times a week for at least three months. Gideon Korn testified that out of the hundreds of samples tested by the lab in recent years, Joyce's son's sample contained cocaine in, quote, the highest range we have encountered. Corin, you'll recall, along with Julia Klein, had no forensic toxicology training, and he was presenting results based on methods that weren't accepted among forensic toxicologists as credible. But that didn't prevent him from presenting his theory on how cocaine in such alarming levels could be present in their results. In his testimony, Corin said, quote, it is much more likely that cocaine was incorporated in the hair through the bloodstream that nourished the hair and much less likely from the environment. The judge found that Joyce had always been upfront with doctors about giving her son Ritalin and acquitted her on charges related to that. He also found that Joyce, quote, at all times was seeking help, but he did not believe that the cocaine found in her son was the result of secondhand exposure. The mother risk evidence was hugely influential in his findings on this front. He believed Joyce was a source of cocaine and that she must have administered it to him. Joyce was sentenced to two years less a day, the maximum sentence possible. Jail, Joyce would learn, 
is a very tough place for mothers accused of hurting their children. I had a very hard time, very, very hard time. I was fighting every day. Uh, they were doing things to me. All kinds of stuff happened. I don't want to talk about that, really. It was very bad. Joyce's ex-partner was furious about her conviction and her sentence and hired one of Canada's best defense attorneys to handle her appeal. It turned out that her, the lawyer who represented her was James Lockyer. James Lockyer, in addition to being one of the country's best defense attorneys, is also a huge advocate on behalf of those who've been wrongly convicted. He's the founding director of the Association in Defense of the Wrongly Convicted, now called Innocence Canada. Now remember, this is 1998 by the time the sentencing appeal is taken on by Lockyer. The mother risk evidence is not under scrutiny at this point. As far as the justice system is concerned, the testing is accurate. Lockyer suggested that rather than appeal the conviction, which would involve hiring an independent consultant on the hair evidence, a costly proposition for a client, Lockyer suggested appealing the sentence. Given that Joyce had no criminal record, he felt the chances were good to have her sentence reduced. And that's exactly what happened. A three-judge panel unanimously granted Joyce her freedom, reducing her sentence to time served, which was nine months, plus three years probation. It was hard. It's hard for anybody when they get out of jail. They have to start all over again. I didn't even have a place to live, (laughs) you know. Life for Joyce after her conviction continued to be challenging. She still battled her drug addiction, and finding work with her criminal record was tough. She and her ex-partner had agreed before she was sent to jail that it would be best for their son to become a Crown Ward. Joyce and her son were allowed to have supervised visits, which went on for several years, until he was 12 or so, and began asking questions about why he wasn't with her anymore. Well, when I would visit him, he would ask me questions, and then the Chonze would tell me that that's not appropriate and things like that. So then he would be smart and ask me to go to the washroom and then ask me the question. He wanted to know, did I feed him cocaine? For one, he asked me. Then he's asking me, what is cocaine? And, you know, he's just asking me questions because he's telling me he's mixed up. He doesn't know who to believe. It was very hard. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Around this time when the questions started, Children's Aid started telling Joyce he was unavailable for visits. She eventually stopped calling them and their visits ended. Fast forward almost 20 years, and that archive search Rachel Mendelson did, where she stumbled across Joyce's case. Rachel contacted Lockyer, who, as it turned out, had represented Tamara Broomfield at her appeal. He was well-versed in the failings at mother risk. Lockyer hadn't made the connection between the hair tests and Joyce's conviction in the aftermath of the mother risk scandal blowing open. But seeing Joyce's case file in front of him, it was clear there had been another miscarriage of justice. Within 24 hours, Joyce was in his office, and they began working on an application to the Court of Appeal to quash Joyce's conviction. This past April, 23 years after being convicted of feeding her son cocaine, the Ontario Court of Appeal acquitted Joyce of those charges. Associate Chief Justice Michael Fairburn, on behalf of the three-judge panel, said Joyce had, quote, suffered an egregious miscarriage of justice. Specifically, Joyce's conviction, they ruled, was, quote, rooted in the now discredited work, end quote, of the Mother Risk Lab. If not for Mother Risk's testing, Joyce would not have been found guilty. The hearing was conducted over Zoom, which I was able to watch, and I spoke with Joyce immediately after her acquittal from James Lockyer's office, where she watched the proceedings with him. About time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm overwhelmed right now. When I'm by myself, I'll, you know, but I'm happy and glad and it's about time. I always knew that I was innocent. So it really, like, it just proves to the public that I was telling the truth the whole time. James Lockyer. Well, it's a good, good day for Joyce. I only had a few minutes with both Joyce and James Lockyer And after digging into this story for a few weeks, I wanted to get his thoughts on what I characterized as the amateur actions of the Mother Risk Lab. Well, I'm not sure I'd call them amateur. I'd I'd call them uh, deceptive. Uh, I mean, uh, there was an element, perhaps even of corruption there. Um, And uh, at least on the part of of, uh, Coron, the suggestion that he was... uh, uh, making a profit on the side from uh, uh, drugs that he was uh, uh, selling through Mother Risk. And um, certainly uh, 
giving uh, testimony in cases that I'm aware of uh, that was uh, deceptive, if not downright false. So uh, um, I don't know if I call it amateurish. I think that's probably being too kind. Can you talk to me about the vulnerable population that this um, lab specifically um, targeted and, and, and impacted and how uh, how hard it is for people within that to uh, have their have their voices heard? Well, it's rare that the well-off uh, get tied up with either the criminal justice system or the uh, uh, the uh, um, child protection proceedings. Um, and on, uh, it means that it is the uh, people who, more likely people who live in poverty, uh, uh, people who uh, um, are indigent, um, that are going to get caught up uh, in either system. And of course, they don't have the resources to challenge uh, this kind of evidence uh, that seemed to be assumed to be uh, good evidence, not just by the, the people who uh, were being victimized by it, but also by lawyers. Certainly the legal profession has to take some responsibility for allowing uh, this kind of what's called in the vernacular junk science to propagate. Uh, it's not unlike uh, Charles Smith, who was allowed to propagate his uh, uh, his uh, opinions as a so-called uh, um, forensic pediatric pathologist when he wasn't any such thing. And yet for years and years, uh, he was able to do it. The police didn't pick up on it. Prosecutors didn't pick up on it. And defense lawyers didn't pick up on it and should have. So, I mean, the legal system it does bear a lot of responsibility for this. It's not like they actually were the cause of the problem, but they should have seen the problem probably quicker than they did. And I'm a part of that system, uh, you know. As we've heard, overwhelmingly, mother risk tests were used in child protection cases that rarely made it to court. The challenges of reporting on child protection cases also made it hard for people who felt wrongly accused to get their story out. Child protection proceedings are happening largely in secret. There's no sunlight on those proceedings. There's good reason for that. Um, It's to protect these children. Uh, so that they're not stigmatized. But unfortunately, um, a side effect of that is that it's very difficult to see, you know, all the factors that might have led to a decision. Unlike in criminal court where you can go and order all the transcripts, you know, you can see every piece of evidence that was entered into a criminal proceeding. I mean, even if it's covered by a publication bin, you can still see it, you just can't publish it. Uh, There's a huge difference when it comes to child protection matters. Um, You can't sit in the courtroom, you can't get the files, um, you can't get the transcripts. And so you're relying on the word of of parents, um, you know, and the child protection agencies also um, are hamstrung in terms of what they can say. So it's it's very hard to verify and pin down any facts, any allegations. Uh, And so it's a huge challenge to report on these stories. And, and so I think that where there were warning bells ringing, I mean, nobody was paying attention to them. One such warning bell that exposed a major flaw in mother risks testing happened two years prior to that pivotal Tamara Broomfield appeal. 
Through her investigation, Rachel Mendelson found a woman who was able to pay for independent testing after hair tests painted her as a chronic alcoholic. Four separate mother risk tests indicated she was drinking between 16 and 18 drinks a day. Her two daughters, aged 9 and 13, were removed from her care in 2009. Shocked by the results, the woman, who said she was never a drinker, eventually paid for an ankle bracelet monitor in 2012 that measured alcohol consumption through the skin. Her children had been in care for three years at this point, with varying degrees of access granted by Children's Aid. That ankle monitor registered negative results for alcohol for each of the 90 days that she wore it. Mother risk tests performed during that window still pegged her as abusing alcohol. Mother risk lab manager Joey Guerreri admitted to her lawyer that hairspray containing alcohol can result in false positives. This mother suspects that's what happened with her results. She sent her hairspray to be tested, and it was found to be 70% alcohol. Three days after presenting the ankle bracelet tests to both Mother Risk and Children's Aid, the Children's Aid Society ended all involvement in the woman's life, and her daughters were returned to her care. Despite clear evidence that hairspray could skew Mother Risk hair tests, no alarm bells were rung inside Child Protection Services, until forced to do so in 2014 following the Broomfield appeal and the stories that followed in its wake. Carmen Brunch had no idea that the mother risk tests had been discredited until she was contacted by her lawyer in 2017. I cried. I cried. The first thing I did was cry. Was you're accused of doing these things and being this kind of a monster. You, you don't feel human at all. It, I stopped even telling people I had children because I was embarrassed by the fact that my children had even been taken away. And it has been, it's hard for me to tell anybody about my life at this point because my whole life basically has been fighting for these kids and and being felt like I was less than human the majority of my life. It, it hindered me in a lot of ways. It hindered me in jobs and security and and feeling like I was worth worthy of anything. I I never felt worthy of anything. Didn't feel like I deserved anything good. As far as righting any wrongs, there really hasn't been much relief for families. Class action lawsuits in Ontario and British Columbia failed to get off the ground after courts ruled that individual cases were too unique and complex to fall under class action status. So that has left individuals to fend for themselves, an expensive proposition for most. There are dozens of of active lawsuits, but they're all um, tied up. There's complex legal wrangling happening. And part of the problem is is that just as it was hard to untangle the role of of the mother's test in a child protection decision, it's also difficult to untangle, you know, who is responsible for this. Um, And uh, unlike in the Charles Smith cases where you could overturn a conviction, right, let somebody out of jail, that can't happen here. Um, and and then also, unlike in the Charles Smith scandal, in the aftermath of that scandal, the Ontario government did set up a compensation scheme. So the victims of Charles Smith, you know, could access uh, some money. And I think that that was the government's way of saying, like, look, we acknowledge that we failed you, that the justice system failed you. And that just hasn't happened um, for the motherless victims. This lab screwed up all of our lives. I, I honestly think that it's not fair that they wouldn't let us 
you know, have our day in court. Like, I want my kids to know that, that those tests were negative and that this all was not my fault. I, I want to be found not guilty for this situation because my whole life I've been treated like I was a criminal because of this whole case. And, and it was something that could have been, it could have been prevented. And, and it wasn't prevented. And it cost a lot of people their lives and a lot of people their children. Carmen's desire to be found not guilty of abusing drugs and not guilty of posing a threat to her children's safety is an understandable need. But it's unlikely that will happen. I think one of the, um, the lasting injustices of the mother risk scandal is that, you know, these, these families really just... There is no way to undo the damage that was done to them. So, I mean, first of all, the tests have been shown to be inadequate and unreliable, but they have not been disproven. And what that means is that these families, they might have said for a long time, you know, um, I I wasn't a user. And, and all we can say definitively now is that, that, that those tests should never have been used um, against them and should never have been relied upon as evidence that they were using. But that's quite different than saying, um, you know, yes, none of these parents who had mother risk care testing done had used drugs. Like, the, the testing was wrong in every case. It's impossible to, to even do that analysis because mother risk didn't retain the samples. Carmen's children are adults now, and they're all working on reconnecting. But it hasn't been easy. Questions still linger. And uh, it's been difficult to have a relationship with them since then um, because they don't trust me. They don't know me. So it's been a long road, but my youngest daughter and I have a relationship now. I get to see my grandson. Um, I just started speaking to my oldest two again. Um, And uh, my youngest son I got to see for the very first time on Christmas in his whole life um, this last Christmas. And um, my 23-year-old daughter is the only one that really isn't speaking to me. So that's very, very difficult because... They really want to have something to do with me, but yeah, they're they're scared too because of being abandoned before. All my children have very very bad abandonment issues, and they have some pretty pretty deep emotional uh, scars from all of this. It, it didn't just mess up my life; they didn't just screw up my life. They screwed up these kids' lives too, and that wasn't fair to them. They didn't deserve any of that. Joyce, as well, has tried to reestablish her relationship with her son. Well, I I talked to him once, you know, maybe a year or two ago, and I tried to call him. He doesn't have Facebook anymore. He cut all ties, so I don't know. I just leave it up to him now. He's 30 years old now, so I think he just wants to forget it like I do. I just want it to be over. It's been so much of my life, like it's more than half my life I've had to live with this, so I'm just tired of it now. In the seven years that Rachel Mendelson has been reporting on the mother risk scandal, what really stands out for her is what we as a society expect of families who are struggling on the margins and how impossibly high that bar is routinely set. This reporting has just really shone a light for me on the gross inequities that exist. And it's really made me check my privilege (laughs) um, and, and made me sort of appreciate why these kind of injustices happen to certain types of people. I mean, for sure, it can happen to anybody. That's true. But 
you know, what we saw over and over and over again with these families was that they already had the cards stacked against them. And that is uh, something that I think I I didn't fully appreciate until I had kids and I, I saw how easy it is to judge somebody's parenting decisions until you're in you're in that role and, and how only certain people come under the microscope. To borrow something that, that an expert told me once um, that I thought just resonated so profoundly was they weren't just like going around and plucking um, the hair out of uh, well-to-do mothers in, in Rosedale, which is, you know, one of Toronto's fancier fancier neighborhoods uh, and testing those for, for cocaine. And Lord knows if they had, you know, what would they have found? Um, this is sort of uh, feeds into just how the bar is so much higher and how uh, the standards are, are oftentimes impossibly high and unfairly so for, for people who don't have the means. And so part of that privilege is, um, you know, being kind of outside of that scrutiny And the other thing, too, is that I think there's an assumption that there is, like, a perfect place for children to go, but through getting to know some of these families and, in some cases, getting to speak to uh, the children who were removed, uh, even for a short period of time, that has a a very—that can have a very detrimental impact. And and for sure, I mean, there are cases of abuse, you know, where kids are much better off somewhere else. But, again, it shows just, like, how— important it is and critical it is to really see these decisions as life and death decisions um, that, that once you make them, you can't turn them back. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast, written and produced by Tina Pitaway. Executive producer is Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app, and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.